Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Toogie's Take Podcast. With us, the guys, the fellas, the glasses. For those of you watching on the video portion, of course, on the Toogie's Take Podcast YouTube channel, it's my channel, you'd think I'd know how to say it. It is Toogie, joined alongside Sin for the Win Binoculars it's... and Endo Mill. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Sid, it's good to have you back. Of course, it's a shame you got to miss every other Tuesday, but it almost makes when you're here feel like a special occasion. It's great. You know, it's got, you got to make the people wait, you know? It's, it's that's my motto or, or something. That's how you, that's my motto or something. <laughs> <laughs> Tremendous. Well, again, it is good to have both of you here. It is good for the three of us to be here. It is good as well for us to mention right out of the gates that we have a lot to talk about on today's show because normally Sin misses these shows. When a lot of stuff happens in a three to four day span, normally it's the show that Sin has to miss. So I'm so glad that Sin is here. So we're going to get right down to business. No viewer questions today. Just, well, pretty much right down to business. We got a couple of things I wanted to bring up real quick. But before we do that, of course, again, this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. Of course, you can use code Toogie at checkout for 20% off your order and free worldwide shipping when you use code Toogie. Get the right tools for the job at Manscaped. And of course, guys, it's a big time. The Soupy Boopy coming up this Sunday. Make sure to head over to Thrive Fantasy. You can use code Toogie or click the link in the description course the current active otter offer as the otter the current active otter there is a live otter that will handle your customer service at thrive fantasy i'm kidding their uh their customer service uh supports better than that uh, but then again an otter anyway again they will match uh up to 100 in terms of your first deposit and again number one place for prop bets not just for hockey but again the super bowl coming up this sunday so make sure again to check out the link or use code Tugi on thrive fantasy gentlemen and as well there's that offer uh in terms of the the, the stock guy that we have thanks to uh mr sin for the win as well that I that I've still haven't fully worked into the rotation of like oh yeah we gotta mention that one too because I don't know a damn thing about trading that is what that is a one hundred percent sin move right there. What are we gonna learn today? It absolutely. I I have asked sin three times to be like I'm gonna I'm gonna have you explain this stuff to me and every time I get intimidated and I back off. <laughs> <laughs> every time. Yeah. Well, I'm I probably I probably don't explain that it's. You know, some of the stuff is complicated. There's probably an easy way to explain it. But, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. Some people just get it immediately. Some people need more time with it. But I don't know. I don't I don't find it too hard. Then again, I've been doing it for two years. Buy low, go. sell high. That's that's all it is. You go endo, simple as that. Endo, endo McMillionaire over yeah. here. He's I got it all figured wish. out. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. Me too. So, with that... I, I mentioned I mentioned the Super Bowl and uh, our, our friends, of course, at, at Thrive. At Th- but I, I wanted to talk about this because, of course, we've talked about football every once in a while. Again, the Super Bowl is this Sunday. Rams and Bengals. By the way, shout out to uh, NF- now NFL Hall of Famer Richard Seymour. It's about damn time. Patriots legend. Uh, but Super Bowl coming up. We got to go for it. Um, again, I think we talked about it before. I'm not I'm not upset regardless of who wins this for the sole purpose of it's either the Bengals finally win something or Matt Stafford finally wins something. And in talking with Deke Slayer, 
noted Michigan boy. I mean, I kind of want to go with Matt Stafford, but the final picks for the Super Bowl, Bengals or Rams. I'm going to go with the Rams to win it, and we'll see if either of us or any of us can can be as big of a jinx as, as Tim the Tatman will end up being. Yeah, that's a tough one. Man, I want the Bengals to win. I just worry about how often Joe Burrow's been sacked. And, like, he's going to have some nerves in the Super Bowl. Any of those sacks, if they lead to fumbles, like, it could get bad. But Joe Burrow mm. is a strong, mental, mentally tough dude. So, shit, I don't know. Again, it's such a hard prediction because, like, who the hell, like, in my opinion, there's no real favorite going in. These are two teams that probably no one expected to be in the Super Bowl. And yet, here they are. But I'll, I'll go ahead and pick the Bengals because that's who I want to win. I have no clue how right I'll be, but that's who I want to win. Well, off of our playoff predictions in the past, <laughs> Endo Mills, the winner of the Super Bowl, who's it going to be? <laughs> going to be the Bengals because Joe Burrow has like eight fucking nicknames. I'm looking at his nicknames <laughs> right now. It's like Joe Shiesty. Joe Cool, Joey Franchise, Joe Burr, <laughs> and Jackpot what? Joey, Joe Chill, Jackpot Smoking Joe. Joey. Hey, Joe Chill, jo- though. I like that. That's a good one. Smoking Joe. What a fucking name. Oh, no, no, it was Tiger King. Yeah, because uh, Bengals. That was, that's the best There you one. go. Now, realistically, everybody, I kind of mentioned that we had talked about this before, but I needed a way to bring up the NFL. Why? To talk about how canceled Aaron Rodgers was. NFL MVP canceled. He's canceled. He's never allowed to win anything again, but he won the MVP. Well, it's almost like the people who complain about cancel culture are stupid. Sid, your take, considering he is the quarterback of your favorite football team. Yeah, he's the MVP. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. People who bitch about cancel culture are just literally projecting. Because every time they see something they don't want, they want to get rid of it. Tennessee, book burning. The fuck? Uh, book banning in schools? What do you think that is? Like, it's 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 projection. So, yeah. Um, ha, ha, like, you can't, like, the people who cry about being canceled and censored, they just want, they're just pissed that people aren't agreeing with their me- message. That's it. That's literally it. They're just pissed that they're not getting their way, essentially. And, uh. Sorry to be blunt about it, but that's pretty much how it is. If you look deep into the, who those people are, their mentality, how they act all the rest of the time, it's that's it. And a happier note outside of football, <laughs> I had I had to do it. We got to witness this week at the Nintendo uh, kind of conference that they always do. They unveiled some new games. Nintendo Direct. Nintendo Direct. I couldn't think of the word. Thank you very much. Number one. They announced the new Fire Emblem, which is awesome. Because I played that last Fire Emblem on stream and had more fun than I thought I could ever have. Uh, <laughs> just the idea. It was basically like Harry Potter the game, except you could kind of hit on your teachers. It was Japan. Hey, yo. J- Japan. Uh, <laughs> That's what Fire Emblem is, man. I thought, I thought it was like a turn-based strategy game. Man. It is, which is the yeah, best part. Turns on them man, it must have changed a lot since the one I saw on I... GameCube, because my buddies would play it, and it looked like kind of like a war game where you had, like, Marth and dudes with swords so that's... and shit. That's Isn't still that? a thing. I, I highly encourage you to check out Fire Emblem Three Houses if it ever becomes discounted on Switch. It's a phenomenal Did you game. Did say Fire Emblem Three Housing? 
three houses. <laughs> oh, Dan Although Housen? three housing <laughs> would be incredible. Well, Someone's been on a real Dan Housen kick lately. Good gracious. I can't help it. The man is amazing. The Mario Kart DLC, which I'm glad to know they're going full GTA 5, and it's just like, yeah, let's just keep pumping out content for this one because it keeps selling. Smart move. And then Mario Strikers. That's right, baby. Mario fucking Strikers. Let's go. <laughs> Sorry. Davos. The Mr. reaction from our good friend, Mr. Davos Cast. If you are uh, involved in the NHL community scene, you are well aware of uh, of Davos, I am sure. Good Lord, you have never seen a man so happy yeah. for Mario Strikers, and I cannot wait to play it on stream. It's going to be fun. For those who don't know, it's it's basically Mario Soccer, and it's it's the best. It's like football. Very, very happy. It's like football meets football. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I know. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You, you nailed it. Write it. You got Couldn't it. Print. <laughs> so... Very much excited for the Super Bowl here. Number one, because the girlfriend knocks it out of the park with, uh, like, the little hors d'oeuvre oh, setup. Like, basically, I'm, nice. I'm going to eat well on Sunday and watch some good football, I hope. And then the Nintendo Switch is still an A-grade console and one that you can actually find in stores. <laughs> good luck. I do Okay, the update. I have seen Xbox Series S's in stores. I have never seen an X or a PS5 Crazy. in the wild. Either of you two. Have you I mean, I, have you seen one of those two consoles? I don't go out too much, but no, I know it took fucking forever for me to just order one online because I refused to pay a scalper. I got lucky one day. I must have like got onto the site like as soon as they refreshed their inventory and ordered one straight away. But I couldn't hmm. believe it. Like a year down the road, it was still impossible to find. Like, how is that even a thing? Yeah, I mean, one of these days. The good thing is, like, there's nothing available on the PS5 right now, aside from, like, Returnal, so I don't feel like I'm missing out that much, but, man, God of War is supposed to come out this year, and, uh, I'm, I'm gonna have to call in some favors or, uh, figure out some way, because, my God, if I can't play that game at launch, I am going to cry. It's gonna be awful. With that, gentlemen... Let's get into talking about some hockey. That's what we're known for here, primarily as a hockey podcast. But again, we talk about everything, or most most things, at the very least. Uh, Want to talk about some of the general things that are out there as kind of a warm up to our our bigger topics. First and foremost, and this topic is for Endo Mills, Nazem Kadri has officially matched his career high in points of sixty one, which he did in nineteen uh, 19, yeah nineteen sixty seven. He did in twenty sixteen seventeen. He's done it in 40 fewer games. 61 points, matching his career high in 40 less games than when he said it. He has a pace of 122 points if he were to play a full 82-game season. Nazem Kadri. Mm-hmm. The dream. Nazim the dream. <laughs> I think the dream is Leafs fans not seeing him get suspended in the playoffs so he'd still be a Leaf. That's the dream. Yeah. Yeah, if you can contain the beast, then you can you can go far. Um, Every Leafs fan is like Joe. Just wait until the playoffs, right? I don't even care. Just wait until the playoffs. I don't even care. Honestly, he's numb. I'm yeah. so dejected from hockey. Oh, don't worry. There's a stat I'm bringing up later in the show that is going to. Uh, I don't think you'll be wearing that hat by the end of this show. Oh, I'll just take uh, it off now. It's fine. There you go. There you go. <laughs> no more Leafs hat for Endo. There you go. Rip the bandaid off. 
Yeah. yeah, there you go. There you go. So Nazem Kadri's insane. Mr. Jacob Markstrom of the Calgary Flames is also insane. Eight shutouts on the season. NHL leading eight shutouts. The Montreal Canadiens currently have eight wins. He has as many shutouts as a team has wins. Obviously, that speaks more to just how abysmal Montreal is, but it's still a very impressive number for Markstrom. And while we haven't been able to do our day-by-day uh, recently, which is kind of a shame because then you kind of start to miss uh, some, of the, some of the ongoings through the league, which is why I wanted to cover these topics, Calgary's heating up again, pun intended, as we kind of head down the stretch here. I mean, I'm looking at the, uh, the situation right now. They're second in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. You know, Anaheim's kind of falling off a little bit. L.A. Uh, currently in that third spot. I mean, there is still a chance for Edmonton to maybe make up ground if they don't blow it. But Calgary, very good shot at being a playoff team just over the midway point of the season for them. I mean, 44 games played at this stage. We still have a long way to go. Yeah. And we will continue to praise Calgary. I know, it's just one of those things where it's just like, hey, Markstrom's good. I know, I, I can't really leave it too open for you guys to be like, yeah, huh? But at the same time, it's... It is called Tuggy's you know, Take, so... Yeah. There you go. <laughs> At the same time, we want to we want to acknowledge Flames fans. I've had people just be like, "You never talk about our team on this show." We try. We try. Hmm. I'm trying to think of a team we don't actually talk about. I feel like we don't talk about the Preds or the Wild. Oh, we'll be talking about uh, we'll be talking about Minnesota in a little bit. Why don't you worry about that? Another team we probably don't talk that much about is the Columbus Blue Jackets. But I wanted to shout out Patrick Laine with one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. He became the first player in Blue Jackets history to register three consecutive multi-goal games. I can't decide now, if that's super, super impressive or mundane, because it seems like it could be like very impressive amongst teams to have a guy, but also, because like, scoring a multi-goal games is pretty tough, especially three in a row. But then also there's been mm. so many good goal scorers where I don't know how many... Yeah, like my... My thought behind this is it's like, man, the Blue Jackets have been around for a long time. 20 years? 21 years? They were founded, I think technically, yeah, they started in 2000. Okay. So. I knew. Couldn't remember. Yeah, I mean, this is their 22nd season, and I get that they haven't been the great. Rick Nash never did this, was where my mind went. Rick Nash was never that kind of player. In my, in my, like, he was just like the complete package type guy, not really the pure goal scoring threat. But then again, they had, they have Fedorov, Gabrick. Yeah, Fedorov at the end of his career. Oh, that's right. But it's like Rick Nash, I mean, rookie year, 17 goals. 06 07, he had 27 goals. Aside from that, he never scored less than 30 goals in a season. Oh, wow. He hit 40 twice as a Blue Jacket. Holy shit, too. okay. So, yeah, that was my first thought, is like what Line is doing is incredible. And alongside Nazem Kadri, Patrick Line has now tied his point total from last season in 21 fewer games. So last year, between Winnipeg and Columbus, he had 12 goals, 12 assists in 46 games. Uh, now he's done the same thing in 25 games. Good for him. So, 24 points in 25 games for Line this year. It's been a rough year for him, though. Obviously, he's had the injury trouble. His father passed away towards the end of last year. Um, but you know, while obviously now people have tried to take the opportunity to just like dunk on Patrick Line because of what Austin Matthews is, like Patrick Line is still a very, very good goal scorer in this league. I don't think that really goes without saying. 
but also wanted to shout out uh, for the Blue Jackets, obviously a team that's not really heading towards the playoffs right now. Shout out to one of the best names in the league, Trey Fix Wolanski, scored his first goal in his first game against Washington. Trey Fix Wolanski. Top notch name. This one's for Endo Mills, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yay. Mitch Marner on fire. The Toronto Maple Leafs requiring the fewest amount of games in franchise history to reach 30 wins in a season. Granted, it's it's matching what they did in 2021, but the Leafs are literally, without the championship success, but in terms of regular season, they are literally as good as they have ever been. How does that make you feel? Uh, I mean, like... <laughs> I'm, I've been so dejected from hockey in general because of all the bullshit that's happened in general. Like, it's not even, like, really, like, my – my I'm not even say my organization, but, like, my my fan base itself is having to do with most of this stuff. But, like, I don't know. I've just been dejected. And I, I'm on a hockey podcast. And I'm like, yeah. It, it's nice. It's good. Um, they're doing well. It shows that they, they can be consistently – at with points, but you know, this is the best that they've been, and they have to capitalize and they have to get the ball rolling when it comes to playoff time. Last thing to note before we get into uh, more of a, an on point topic Matt Murray has been back in goal for the Ottawa Senators recently. He is 5 1 and 2 in his last eight starts with a 949 save percentage. Tales of his demise may have been just a tad bit early. Goalies are weird, man. <laughs> what can you say? <laughs> I didn't he start out uh, when he first came to Ottawa really good too, or maybe the season. I can't remember. I know that at some point when uh, I don't know, he he has those stre- stretches where he does really good. I can't remember if exactly if I'm remembering that correct. His but. numbers last year in Ottawa weren't looking that great. He had an 893 in 27 yeah. games. Yeah, I don't know then. But this year now he has a 9-20 and 15 games after getting sent down to the AHL. I don't know then. Maybe. Goalies are weird. <laughs> yeah, they are weird. You never freaking know what the heck you're going to get. I think he got sent down and he realized how bad it was down there with um with Belleville and he wanted the he wanted <laughs> Get me the hell out of here. Yeah, get me out, please. Just turns it on. Get me the hell out of here. So, yeah, good stuff across the league there. Again, some of the things that we might have been able to notice with our day-by-day format that we can't quite point out as often, but hey, wanted to point it out here. So with that, we're going to move ahead towards some of our other more on-point discussions. We're going to start off with the Olympics, specifically women's hockey at the Olympics, as they are already in their quarterfinal stage. Canada defeated Sweden 11 to nothing. Yeah. Outrageous as the U.S. also beat the Czechs 4-1. to It was four unanswered goals for the U.S. Now, Canada will play the winner of Russia and Switzerland, and the U.S. will play the winner of Finland and Japan. Barring a drastic upset, we will see Canada against the U.S. women. And uh, based off of Canada's form right now, despite the U.S. being the defending champions... Yeah, Canada's this is Canada's tournament to lose. I mean, this is outrageous just how much offense uh, they've been able to put up so far. Yeah, definitely. And I do have like a little uh, I have a little point about the Canadian development uh, system and how things have changed this year compared to years before. I'll get to that after because it's really interesting. It's a really um it's it goes into a bigger argument into like women's hockey in general. 
but I'll, I'll save that for a little bit after. But, like, it's great. Uh, they're doing really, really well. Dude, they have 44 goals in five games. Yep. They're averaging 8.8 goals for a game. <laughs> I mean, my God. It's just they are on such a different level. And then on the men's side of things, worth noting uh, for the women's team, they actually upset Chechia 3-2 for their first ever Olympic win. And then the men's uh, team for Denmark as well also beat uh, the Czechs uh, for a 2-1 win for their first Olympic wins. So shout out to Denmark making improvements. But on the men's side of things, obviously the tournament started a little bit later. Uh, the U.S. and Canadian teams both won their opening match. The U.S. beat China 8-0, Canada over Germany 5-1. Uh, Endo, I'll let you uh, give your thoughts for the Canadian side. But for the U.S. side, the big thing to note is that gold, granted it was China, but the big thing to note is that uh, Sean Farrell is... Un-goddamn believable. <laughs> He's a Montreal Canadiens uh, fourth round pick in 2020. He looked outrageous in this game. He's over a point per game right now for Harvard, too, in the NCAA. The, the hype level surrounding this guy is going to skyrocket after this tournament. I think it's already skyrocketed because a lot of people are like, who the hell is that? And now all of a sudden you hear the name Sean Farrell. It's like, oh, yeah, the guy from the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately he's not from Quebec, so... He'll be dealt. Nope, he's a Massachusetts guy. Yeah, he'll be dealt, uh, you know, to a to a team. That can't you know? They they got to have a good balance. You need need some uh, francophones in that locker. Well, I mean, hey, we'll we'll be talking <laughs> about the Habs here in a little bit too. Endo Mills, did you catch the Canadian game? If you didn't, welcome to America because you're about to get booted out. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I caught a little bit of the Canada game. Uh, I mostly caught them. Um, a good uh, one of the guys from the hockey, the hockey writers, um, the ho hockey, hockey news. Sorry, his tweets of images of the game itself, because he can't like show the case of the game, and he just put like little like doodle drawings of it. I think it's Stephen Ellis, and I, I caught yeah. it from there. Good friend of the show, Mister Stephen Ellis. Can't yeah, show the game. Very good friend of the show because of licensing thing, and NBC is freaking out because their coverage is, or I don't know, is that is that a licensing thing? Why you couldn't show it? Uh, probably. Also, okay. the Olympics are very strict. The Olympics are very, very strict when it comes to DMCA stuff. Like, so, like, anytime you put put a clip on there, like, they can take it off unless you... No wonder really I haven't have seen any highlights. I mean, granted, <laughs> I'm not fucking on Twitter much anymore, but yeah. <laughs> I was like, there's no highlights of the Olympics. Yeah. Is it is it even going on? Is NBC even promoting it? You do have to kind of go out of your way. Like, I... So in dumb. terms of highlights, it's, it's tough. YouTube really is the best spot for it. That's kind of crazy. And I heard that. I, I was I was seeing some whispers that NBC is actually kind of pissing and moaning that people aren't watching it. And I'm just like, bro, like, honestly, like, as as a casual viewer who doesn't seek out the Olympics, I've, like, learned no way of how to easily access it, whether by stream, mm -hmm. whether by, like, snippets, highlights. There's It's kind of crazy. Like, how how is NBC even promoting it? Because I haven't heard much. Watch 8 o'clock prime time every night on NBC. That's basically it. So Now, there was one down note that's kind of tied into the Olympics that's actually somewhat breaking news that I cannot speak on all that much. Uh, but Katie Strang, who again has been one of the uh, key reporters in the hockey world alongside Rick Westhead over the past year or so is where her name has really started to get out there a lot more. She's noted that USA Hockey has been reported to Congress for potential interference in U.S. Center for Safe Sport investigation. 
So um, basically, how that sums up for the Reed Bush, there is there is shady, shady shit potentially going on with the USA Hockey. The idea uh, is essentially, and I'll, I'll read this top. It's it's a free article for everyone to read. Uh, in the letter addressed to USA Hockey executive Pat Kelleher and President Mike Trimboli, uh, a Republican Senator Chuck Grassley out of Iowa, uh, the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, reminded USA Hockey of their legal obligation under the Empowering Olympic, Paralympic, and Amateur Athletes Act of 2020 uh, that, um, yeah, they have the duty to report any reasonable suspicion of child abuse to both law enforcement and oh, the center. No. And there is a chance... That they have not uh, fulfilled that obligation to report such things. Oh. Again, I will leave that full article out there. Katie J. Strang on Twitter. Um, in case you wanted more bad news in the hockey world. Is this, regarding there the you go. Is this regarding the Reed Boucher thing? I don't believe so. I think this is something else. Isn't Reed Boucher Canadian? Yeah, uh, but I'm actually not sure. I've, He's American-born. So, okay, another part of the article is USA Hockey's come under scrutiny for how it handled allegations of sexual misconduct. Former uh, USA President Jim Smith was investigated by the Center for Safe Sport because of allegations. He mishandled claims of sexual abuse involving former prominent Chicago-area youth and college hockey coach, some douchebag that I will not name. The matter was closed by Safe Sport, but Smith later announced he would not seek re-election, uh, referencing these allegations and telling members of the need to be totally united to move forward. So basically, that's just as as tiring as it can be, right? Because with the Chicago hockey team, we heard about what happened with Rockford and their coach getting fired. Basically, uh, we keep lifting up stones and... Uh, Finding all the uh, finding the seedy, scummy underbelly yep. uh, that is a uh, part of the hockey world, uh, and Katie Strang continuing to cover that, and I give her all the credit in the world. So we'll leave it at that. It's still a developing thing, but uh, worth noting to go check that out and read that article uh, if you can stomach it at this point, which it can be rather difficult Oof. to do. Yeah, gross. And oh. What did you want to mention, uh, mention Olymp Olympic wise here before we move on? Yeah, let's have some good good news here, because uh, God, that took me for a, that that caught me off guard here. So I wanted to talk about the development of the Canadian uh, women's national team, and they've absolutely kicked the doors down and dominated so far in this tournament, and well, this, in the Olympics, sorry. So. One of the things that is very, very common uh, for women's national teams to develop their players is for them to play against AAA-level uh, teams. It's, it's very common in, in the women's hockey space. Now, Hockey Canada decided this year um, to try something a little different, and they immediately went to Junior A. Like, immediately went to go play Junior A teams over in the Western Canada. So they went to go play um, Alberta and BC. This is a this is an article I'm reading from CB24 Sport, CP, CP24.com. Uh, basically, news here in uh, in Canada. So one of the things though was it's a big it's a big jump because AAA and Junior A is like you're you're basically playing with guys you're basically on the cusp of making into professional hockey. Um, they did not do well. They did very very bad. I think they played five games. And they were swept and outscored 30 to two. Now, a lot of the, like at first you realize that and you're like, oh, damn, like they should they, they need a lot more work. 
And then it makes you think that a player like Marie-Philippe uh, Poulin is on par with like someone who's basically still living with her parents playing hockey. And that begins the whole detracting hockey and seeing women's hockey shouldn't be getting paid and all that. The one thing I do want to mention on that as well is that women's hockey is still a brand new concept, especially being accepted not only just here in North America, but worldwide. And the, for them to basically take this jump and to go up against like guys who are basically at that skill level is is huge. It's something we haven't seen before, and it's something that I definitely want to see. And I think that was basically like the biggest moment for them to develop is because they came after these games. They said we lost, we got our we got handed to us, but we were able to break down how they played and how to put that into our game. And clearly you can see like they've been outscoring opponents like crazy. Like what was it, eleven nothing in the last game against the uh, Hasn't that kind of always happened though in the Olympics? At least that I recall. What's that? Canada Not just absolutely dominating. Not this, not really? this big of a... Maybe it was dominant. U.S. I remember U.S. played like Japan or something like that. And I remember watching mm -hmm. the game. They beat them like 12 to 1. I don't yeah, know. I can't Canada's, always, Canada's always been like a powerhouse. But it hasn't been like... The, 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 the margin hasn't been this big like ever. And it's something that I've definitely noticed about. And people are noticing that as well. So I wanted to look into a little bit more. And this shows that like hockey is growing. Uh, especially in Canada. And it would be even better if you know these other companies not companies other countries and on hockey bodies saw this kind of stuff they're doing and were able to adapt it to their development as well because sure the girls are getting shelled but it put them in a weird it put them in a different playing field whereas they're used to being dominant on top and being the top dog and basically going through every opponent it put them in a different aspect and made them very uncomfortable and they had to adapt and learn from it and I think we're definitely going to be on a cusp of big improvements yep. for women's hockey, obviously here in Canada and North America, but just worldwide if this concept goes for other places. The best well, way to improve is to play people who are at a higher skill level gen yeah. generally. So, yeah, that's a good way to develop. Yeah, so far, I so will good. say, I mean, a lot of people, I think, forget, too, just how new the idea of organized women's hockey is. And again, I've mentioned this video before. Uh, you know, Endo and I talked about or did a video covering uh, the 98 Olympics in Nagano, which was the first time women's hockey was at the Olympics. 1998. I mean, Sin and I are both, uh, both older than women's hockey at the Olympics happens to be. Like, this is a very recent thing. Now, I did have to go through and look at the, the Canadian women's track record, at least in the preliminary stage. I do agree with Sin. They have pretty much always been dominant, maybe not to this extent. 2002, uh, 25 goals, zero against in three games in the preliminary round. Uh, 06 in Turin was 36 goals, four, one against in three games. Uh, and then 2010 in Vancouver, 41 goals, four, two against in three games. So the Canadian women have... I would say always been rather dominant, but the idea is they're this dominant and they keep striving to get better. Yeah. And that's exactly what you want to see. Like they're not just being like, okay, we're the best. That's it. Like they are continuing to try and, and develop the talent level of these players, especially moving forward. And I think that's, that's obviously the right move. So that's fantastic to see. And uh gold medal game, us and Canada. I'm sure we'll be talking about it very soon. 
No disrespect to the other women in the tournament and the other nations, but I mean, come on. Other talking point today, the Arizona Coyotes. This comes from Craig Morgan on Twitter. Arizona Board of Regents has approved capital development plan for Arizona State University's multi-purpose arena. That includes Coyotes added team areas in their northeast corner. ASU will be the Coyotes' temporary home for at least three seasons. They are approved for more as they await word on their proposed Tempe arena. Now, we have had this conversation before about the Coyotes. I want to mention what this setup kind of is, right? Now, when it comes to the the landscape of the the Phoenix area, because again, it is as Sin discovered recently on this show, a biggest you know, a bigger kind of metropolitan uh, area than I think a lot of people realize. What was it? The Phoenix is the fourth biggest uh, something crazy. Was it the like fourth that. biggest yeah. city yeah. in the U.S. Now, I, I had to look this up, and I am uh, continuing to look this up really quickly, just in terms of the distance. Now, it is noted that Gila River Arena is out of the way. Like, if you look at a map of where Glendale is compared to, you know, Phoenix and the, the infrastructure of that city and how easy it is to get people to the games... That's been their biggest issue, as I punch my microphone, in terms of attendance. Uh, that is, by far, their biggest issue is just, unless that team is good, people are not going to go out of their way to make their way to Glendale. Whereas, much, much closer uh, is this arena for ASU and just the Tempe area in general. Like, it's... It's honestly pretty equivalent to what you see uh, with the Ottawa Senators and the fact that their arena is out of out in the middle of fucking nowhere in Canada instead of being in downtown Ottawa. But that's a Canadian team, so it's fine. The main thing I've seen in regards to this, and again, I think I've made my opinions known, like I fully support the Coyotes staying there. The number one response is, you know, I'm happy for Coyotes fans, but man, I'm frustrated because you know they wouldn't do this for a Canadian team. There is not a single Canadian market that does not already have a team that is as valuable as this Phoenix-based market. That is just a fact. There is a reason why it's not, oh, Gary Bettman's ego won't let Arizona fail. The value that that region brings to the NHL if they can finally get it on track 20-some-odd years later is almost immeasurable. Like, if they can get that infrastructure there for the Coyotes to finally have that stability that they've really never had, to have their arena in a solid place, it's going to be such a gigantic moneymaker for the NHL. It just is. It is not a matter of, oh, the fans don't support that team in the market. Again, I will say this every time. Look at their 2012 Western Conference final run. You look at that building and tell me that's not full. You look at that building and tell me that's a market that can't support hockey. It's the same thing as the Florida Panthers. Look at that arena in 96 in that cup run. You know why that was full? Because that arena, if I'm not mistaken, was in downtown Miami. Then what happens? They move out to Sunrise, which is in the middle of the goddamn swamp. It's difficult to get to. And if that team sucks, nobody's going to show up. 
It's the same damn thing. It is about these teams getting the proper infrastructure. Now, again, for Florida, you could argue, well, they at least have Tampa. But again, just the size difference between the likes of a Tampa or a Miami compared to the Phoenix area, it's astronomical. I am all in favor of the Coyotes staying. I don't think it's embarrassing for the league if they're playing in front of 5,000 people because at the end of the day, what looks better? A packed, uh, you know, a packed arena of 5,000 or a 20,000-seat arena that has 7,000 people in it like the Buffalo Sabres right now. But again, and I've said this on this show too, oh, for the Buffalo Sabres, they're, they're not going to games for a noble cause, and oh, uh, they're affected. So many Sabres fans are Canadian, and there's the border restrictions, and they're not good. Excuse, excuse, excuse. But when it comes to the Coyotes and any logical excuse, no, just move them. It's nonsense. It's bullshit. I'm sick of it. Where's Bring the line? over. Full stop. Yeah. Ah. I'm just <laughs> excited to see uh, all the fucking college kids at the game getting shit-faced and trying to storm the ice after the Coyotes win. Won't happen too often <laughs> yet, yet. but just wait, man. Like, yeah, that's, uh, that's why I'm on. Again, once they start getting that crop of young talent start to break in, and that will hopefully be, hopefully be around the time where they start having a more permanent location, yeah, we could see that Cody's market explode again. I I remember firsthand, like when, like when they were a playoff team, even even before that run in 2012 when the Sharks were playing. Man, they had a packed house. They did like whiteouts. Like they had. There's a lot I remember. Like it's it's like any market. If you're doing good and marketing it correctly, you know the first rule of business: location, location, location. Same thing with a freaking arena. Then mm -hmm. it's gonna work. That's as simple as that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty nuts. Where and we're just put another Canadian team. No. Who cares? Yeah, like I'm sorry, you do not simply have the like the population density that p p places in the states do, and you know hockey's already loved right there. A team in Quebec accomplishes literally nothing. Yeah, I mean, you could sit there and argue. It's like, number one, the Habs are already number one. It's the same thing yeah. as like, oh, add a team in Hamilton to compete with the Leafs. Like, no one's the, the money. The money that's there is already there. Yeah. yeah. Like, you're not going to get more money, at least not to a, a, a noticeable extent. And again, you look at the largest Canadian cities. Toronto has a team. Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Ottawa, and Winnipeg. Your top seven teams, or your top seven cities all have teams. And then, yeah, number eight is Quebec City, and then Hamilton at nine. But after that, Kitchener in 10 only has 522,000 people. You're not supporting an NHL team with that. You're not. Just flat out, whereas the Phoenix area, its current population as of the most recent census is 1.6 million people. You could sit there and say, well, how many of the 500,000 would care compared to the 1.6 million? But then again, you get into the financials of the market, the television rights. That's when you make them care by having a good team. They have to pay attention. That's what happens. Like You put a team in exactly. Kitchener that sucks. That's not going to accomplish anything. Like, right. Yeah, they'll just watch the K. They'll just watch the the OHL team instead. Yeah, like the Rangers, terrible red yeah. helmets. Yeah, like I I don't like the idea of Hamilton having a hockey team because I, I just don't think they're gonna have like you said they'll have enough people or have enough support. It doesn't make any sense if you can barely support your OHL team and the prospects that are coming up over there, which is like fresh talent. I don't think you should be able to have an NHL team. It's just not going to work out in the long run. And that's the reason why these these cities aren't going to get any. 
I just think it's... I just think it's funny how. <laughs> but no, it's... I, I just don't... I, I'm just sick of it. Like, oh, well, they're only going to be playing in front of 5,000 people. Junior teams get more. It's temporary, everybody. While they get an arena deal that makes sure they don't... That's the point of this. Get an arena deal that makes sure that this doesn't happen again. It shouldn't have happened in the first place. Yep. I agree. But at the same time, what are what are we doing here? Like again, I'm I'm just I'm over this fake outrage discourse yeah. over the coyotes. I'm just completely over it. Um People I mean again, I, I, easy dunks and low hanging fruit and they just want yeah. bitch about yeah. something and that's easy. easy. Yeah, and I mean I was sitting here trying to look up uh like for example, I mean Again, 5,000 people. You can have 5,000 people there or what? Build to a bigger arena again or, you know, move to a bigger arena that again isn't that great. Like like the New York Islanders when they were at Barclays while we were figuring out what the hell was happening in Long Island, like their announced attendance for that first season, 15, 16, 13,000 people. So was Arizona at 13,000 people. But do you think those you think thirteen thousand people were in the building or just thirteen thousand seats were sold? You know, like it's just again, uh, where where was the dunking for a team like the Islanders when they're in Barclay is a horrible arena and it's not full? Like it's just anyway. Talked about this to death. If you're someone who continues to try and rag on the Coyotes, I'm just saying you're wasting your time. They're not going anywhere, nor should they. I will say one last. The thing van. On. Okay, I was going to say. Go one ahead. Thing. It is very funny that. They have to basically go back to ASU when ASU had to go to them originally to get a spot to stay, to stay at an arena. And I also find it really funny because if this was like three years ago when ASU did not have a program like at all at this level where they have the stadium, because the stadium with ASU is brand new. Like it's like mm -hmm. just set up. If this happened, like if they never, they never developed their program at all and it was still kind of like a, not like a D1, but like whatever the, like, club or whatever like what they have over there in the u.s not really sure because usually it's ncaa or it's like club hockey or whatever uh, i don't know the, I don't know the proper term for it but if this was like that and it was now they'd be fucked because they would have they would literally have nowhere to play yeah so yeah i mean hey and again if that was the situation yeah we'd be having a completely different conversation Wanted to mention the Vancouver Canucks hiring Cami Granado as an assistant general manager. Uh, she was with the Seattle Kraken, where she became the first female professional scout in NHL history. She was the captain of the previously aforementioned uh, 1998 U.S. women's team that won Olympic gold. Uh, she is the all-time leading scorer for the U.S. women's team with 343 points. She is a Hockey Hall of Famer as of 2010. Uh, along with Andrew James, they were the first two women ever inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And it's just more good news. Because again, you are now seeing women rightfully getting these opportunities when they are not just, oh, well, we hired a woman for the sake of hiring a yeah, woman, you shut up. Like, no, women. these are yeah. these are incredibly qualified women who have been incredibly qualified for a long time now for these opportunities but NHL teams like now nah, old boys club let's just do the same old thing and finally we're seeing some changes of course yeah. we've seen uh you know a couple of different moves like this and I'm sure so. there's still people like questioning her qualification goddamn hilarious if anyone questions Cammy Granado's like, qualification Granado dude like 
she's in my opinion even bigger than tony ever was like with what with her pedigree like the olympic stuff like what she's doing now like i haven't heard tony's name in fucking forever yeah, I don't even. Was he like an assistant Tony. coach on the Avalanche? He's at the some head point? coach of the Wisconsin Badgers. Yeah. Is Tony Granada? There you go. Which I mean, hey, you know, shit. You can't sit him. there and be like, oh, Tony Granada's the head coach. Like, fuck, Tony, of course, why wouldn't Tony Granada be a head coach of a of a college level team? Again, he was a pretty damn good yeah, NHLer. Um, God, yeah, but. Like again, like yeah, about time anyone were to question whether or not, like, oh, did, did Cammy Granado get the job just because, like, yeah. talking about one of the most uh, knowledgeable people in terms of the sport, and I, I really do like what the uh, Canucks have done so far. What Jim Rutherford's done again, hiring the first Swedish head coach in history. You bring in Cammy Granado as an AGM. Um, or not Swedish head coach, but Swedish GM, and of course Bruce Boudreaux head coach. Bruce Boudreaux yeah. is not Swedish. <laughs> He do He's he do sweet. like the meatball though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, a man is a meatball. God. So, <laughs> so God damn it, Vancouver, good stuff. Let's keep it up. Let's keep making moves like this keep and bringing you know, in new again, people. Straight up for the for the Habs, and I'm sorry that I forget her name, but they brought her in as like uh, director of communications or something, and she had worked for a communications company for 30 years. People are just like, oh, I don't know, yeah. man. It could have gotten someone else. Like, again, there are always qualified women out there for these jobs. NHL teams just like, I don't know if we want to hire you yeah. though because you're a woman, and how would you fit into the culture mm-hmm. and all that shit? That's exactly and we're finally awesome. seeing changes there. It's the same thing that we saw, and it's taking. A long time in the gaming industry. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's it. anything that's. I mean, it's happening everywhere, though, right? Like, yeah. Um, but like, I they're mean, slower God. to the take people. Like, hockey has been slower to the uptake. Uh, gaming has been slower to the uptake because it's it's been so heavily gatekept by by people by fragile ass dudes who are afraid, who think they're fucking special because they do something. And think this thing, there's some, they, they, they give this higher meaning to it. Like, people treat hockey culture as it's this higher fucking power that is, like, same with gaming. Above all else, exactly. how dare you try exactly. to mess with it. And the same people do that have done that with, like, gaming and whatnot. And like, oh, it's the yeah. man's escape. Shut the fuck up. It's a goddamn game. <laughs> I'm envious in a sense. I'm not saying it's perfect, but, like, what basketball has done in NBA. Like, you had Becky Hammond, who mm-hmm. was... Uh, an assistant coach for the Spurs for eight years before just moving on to uh, the Las Vegas Aces of the the WNBA. Like again, it, it's nice to be able to look and actually see change. And yes, we know there are moments. I mean, again, we literally just mentioned the the Katie Strang thing that's coming out about USA Hockey, and obviously in the past week or so, we've had the discussion about Rocky Wirtz and everything that we've had to cover with the Chicago Blackhawks on this show. And, yeah, Reed Boucher's name was mentioned here. Like, obviously, there's still a long way to go. But you do have some positives there that can help kind of outshine a lot of the negatives that, again, changes are being made. Speaking of the negative, boys, (laughs) the Edmonton Oilers. Finally. Finally. The Edmonton Oilers have done something as they have fired head coach Dave Tippett and assistant coach Jim Playfair of uh, Hulk Hogan Hulk Hogan ripping his shirt uh, fame. Again, still the best clip of all time, Jim Playfair when he was uh, a junior 
uh, level coach. It's Wait, look it up. It's they fantastic. got rid of Jim Playfair as well. Yes, father of uh, was it Letterkenny uh, star uh, Dylan Playfair. I do believe so. Yes, that name that would always pop up in franchise mode for me at drafts. That would be the reason. Oh, man. So Dave Tippett is fired. This uh, this is big enough news in and of itself, but then there's some some other details to this. Connor McDavid will now have his fourth coach in six seasons. Abysmal, right? That right there, like that's that's all you need to know about how poorly the Oilers uh, organization has been run. Not just for the past six seasons, but beyond, but especially now in these past six seasons, that you are now going to have your fourth head coach for the league's best player. Absolutely horrific. The other three coaches, Todd McClellan, of course, of Sharks fame, uh, went 123, 119, and 24 in the regular season, was 7 and 6 in the playoffs. Ken Hitchcock, who uh, coached less than, yeah, 26, 28, and 8 in the regular season. And then Dave Tippett had a 95, 62, and 14 regular season record, but was 1 and 7 in the playoffs. Again, this while having Connor McDavid, and of course, not to mention Leon Dreisaitl, on your team. Absolutely horrific. I just. It's, we, we've talked about it to death. It's hard to but, coach your way out of a horrible cap situation. And that's what it is. They're in a horrible, terrible, terrible cap situation because they've made terrible trades and signings. It has nothing to do with McDavid or no, Dreisaitl. Con- as the Con- media is trying to, you know, frame it as. It's that, oh, clearly, Connor McDavid isn't listening. They brought in this great defensive coach. Why isn't he playing better? T- Connor McDavid, like, if Connor have- McCoach killer. Yeah. <laughs> if Connor you have Connor McDavid, driveway. like, <laughs> Stop! Like you need to get a coach to fit his play style and build like the team around him. Um, yes, everyone should play a little bit of two way, and but people trying to act like oh he should skate fast, back checking. The man carries your team, kicking and screaming into contention every year. Show a little fucking respect. Like it's insane that you now want him to also be a Patrice Bergeron when he's already essentially the next Gretzky or Lemieux. He's already doing that. And you want him to also do that. Like, you expect the fucking world out of this guy. You're already getting the universe. It's insane. You need a coach around him. Like, again, it's not the issue. Any coach that's not doing too good, you're not going to find a coach that can because their team is poorly built. And the media will not ever, ever go after management because they want that access. Mm-hmm. That's always. 100%. And that's why you're seeing the articles now about, oh, Connor McDavid and yep. his his uh, responsibility behind this move. So, and we saw that. That's <laughs> exactly where I was going. And again, that's why. It's always the players that are pissy. It's the players' fault. It's not management. We can't risk our access and our relationship with these teams. We got we to gotta, we gotta smooch and we got to schmooze. It's it's ridiculous, and this is Although again like player making millions, go ahead. the ownership making billions. Oh yeah! At the yeah. same time, it's like shit. Why give it? Why give a damn if you're still making money? Which is again the dumbest thing you could possibly think of because you could make even more money by marketing Stanley Cup champion Oilers. But I digress. In terms of this team. And where they're currently at, I mean, you could make the argument that, hey, it's not necessarily Dave Tippett's fault, but again, he wasn't a great coach. He wasn't. 
He wasn't a great coach. I think every Oilers fan can tell you that. He might not have been the direct problem. Ken Holland is a completely washed-up general manager. End of. End of story. And this is a team that expected to overperform what, if you look at their roster, that team is. They are not the Tampa Bay Lightning. Fuck, they're not the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're not. They never have been. It's the goddamn meme. Wait, we're shit? Yeah, you always have been. Make that goddamn meme for hockey memes. Get a bunch of clicks. Do it. I mean, we've talked about it to death. Their bottom six, their defense pairings. It's the same shit. Yep. And now you have Jay Woodcroft taking over as the interim head coach. He has been coaching the AHL's Bakersfield Condors uh, for the past four seasons. Uh, was a former assistant coach with the Oilers, former assistant coach with the Sharks back in the day. Mm. Uh, started off as a video coach with the Red Wings back in 2005. I was wondering why the fuck I recognize that name. I was like, why do I recognize that name? Yeah, he was with the uh, Sharks from 2008 to 2015 mm. before he switched over yeah. to Edmonton. I think directly with Todd McClellan, actually. I think that timeline lines up, doesn't it? Yeah, because then we got DeBoer and we went to the Cup Finals and lost. That's what DeBoer does. Gets you to the Cup Finals, loses, and then... <laughs> Two years later, he's gone. So Woodcroft's an interesting one. He's not the oldest guy in the world. I mean, he's 45 years old, uh, has a Stanley Cup with his time as, uh, as a Red Wing. Uh, assistant coach now replacing Jim Playfair is former NHLer Dave Manson, uh, who has also been around the block. He was an assistant coach as well in Bakersfield behind Woodcroft. So we'll see. Again, we said, for the love of God, you got to change something. That team's still not great on paper, but in theory, you should have the pieces for them to perform above the sum of their parts because of the high-level talent on that squad. But I, I still don't know, right? And I, I mentioned the standings earlier, and the Edmonton Oilers right now are, let's take a look, at 44 games, they have 49 points. The second wild card spot belongs to Anaheim, who have 55 points in 48 games. So the Oilers have four games at hand, but are six points back in the Anaheim Ducks for the second wild card spot right now. It is not an insurmountable lead with half a season to go for them to get back into the playoffs. I'm just surprised. So, I mean, hey, Vander better Kane late than never in terms of the change, but. Sorry. To cut you no, off, no, but. no, that's fine. I was just trying to throw in some shade. I thought I had a good breaking point to do that. I was just saying, yeah. You know, I'm surprised Evander Kane didn't completely fix their situation. I was I was told how, he would. Okay. I was told he let's would. let's play the how many points does Evander Kane He probably Evander has Kane a decent I mean he's game. on a team with a McDavid and Drysaddle. I would be shocked if he's not per game. You got four, four points in five games oh, for Evander Kane. Yeah. I mean <laughs> points so. per game almost. Yeah. yeah. On a line with Drysaddle and sixteen points in forty four games, Kyler Yamamoto. But they've lost so. twice. I don't even remember. I, it's just insanity that this is a team that can run McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent, Hopkins. And right now they're not in the playoff spot halfway through a season. It's unacceptable. And I hope for Oilers fans, you miss the playoffs. I think that's the best thing that could happen to you. Because if you miss the playoffs, I would like to think that Ken Holland would get fired. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's secure no matter what. But the best thing right now that could happen to the Edmonton Oilers is that Ken Holland gets fired. Period. He's absolutely past his fucking expiration date as an NHL GM. There is no question. He was already flirting with that idea in Detroit, signing Justin Abdelkader, signing Jonathan Erickson. 
he is past his expiration date. You can you sit there and be job. like, well, well, this move wasn't so bad. It's literally the example of like, oh, this one's not so bad. You know the SpongeBob meme uh, with uh, with Gary and it's like the or with Patrick and like he was having to change diapers. Like it was the episode where they adopted something, and oh, it's just clam. a hmm. Yeah. Open the fridge. Hmm. Open the window. It's just a pile of shit. That is Ken Holland's tenure with the Edmonton Oilers. It is literally that meme. Yeah. Like I I don't get how you get in a GM job after some of those contract signings. Your it's friends it's Wayne pretty Gretzky. nuts. You're friends with Wayne Gretzky. There you go. Well, is Wayne even indirectly involved with the team anymore? Like the dude's on he TNT. Was at the I think he left to take the TNT job, right? Yeah, he saw how he saw that trash fire of the organization was. He's like, yeah, I'm going to go talk about hockey with Biz. I'm going to go do that. Like, like it's, that's that Again, paying Duncan Keith 5.5 this year and next Tyson Berry at four or five isn't brutal, but he can't play defense. Yep. Cody Cece at three two five for defense. three more years after this. Uh God, man. Wait, it was a four God. year deal on Cece? Yeah. Oh my that's even, I, I was like, for some reason I was like, yeah, three by three and a half. That makes sense. That's something I would do. <laughs> yeah. And again, he might he's not the worst defenseman on that team, but I mean, that's not saying a lot. Every defenseman on that team is dog shit. They traded one of their best. Aside from future. Darnell Nurse and Evan Bouchard, but Bouchard's still twenty one. So Hey, as Ethan good as Bear he's been, would help that team. Oh, wouldn't yeah. he? How good would Ethan Bear look right now? <laughs> he would be their fucking second best defenseman, probably. Man. God damn. Now yeah, that trade though. That kills me. And the fact that they cut their um I believe they when Ethan Bear got traded, they also cut that indigenous hockey youth program that they had at the time. That that was like, hey, we're gonna do this like for you because you know all that shit's happening. Like you're gonna help give back for the community. And then he got like, traded, just like, think about that though. Yeah, like I get it that uh, apparently there was some uh, some abuse that was there hurtled towards Ethan Bear's way. But think about all that's happened in Canada over the past year plus. Oh yeah, regarding the abuse and uh, all the stuff involving Indigenous people, and then you have Ethan Bear, who can literally be like this front facing spokesperson for change while he's an Edmonton Oiler and you fucking trade him like a week after like a week after they made the announcement for the indigenous sports program and he's like he's going to be like a part of it like a big major thing of it and he gets traded and i'm like that fucking sucks like i heard some people be like oh he wanted to leave you do whatever the hell you have to do to make Ethan Bear stay if Ethan Bear doesn't want to stay in Edmonton that's a problem with Edmonton and the Oilers organization prove me wrong Speaking of problems in Canadian organizations, now I want to mention this because we talked about the Oilers firing a head coach. We need to get to talk about Montreal next. But this is from Locked On Senators on Twitter. DJ Smith is now the longest serving head coach in Canada. He's been the bench boss for 169 games since leaving the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he still hasn't coached a full 82 game season as head coach of the Sens. That is absurd. That is how much turnover and turmoil there has been amongst Canadian teams. But it brings us to the Habs. Head coach Dom Ducharme fired 23, 46-14 in the regular season. He, of course, was 13-6 and six in the playoffs after their cup run. 
This comes from Cap Friendly. He was in the first year of a three-year contract with the with the Habs that paid him roughly $1.7 million a year. The Habs are also still paying Claude Julien $5 million a year until the end of this season. Oof. Next coach, anyone who can speak fucking French, apparently. So... This move, I'll say, wasn't overly surprising because whenever a GM changes, a GM is going to bring in their coach. That's just how it works. Martin St. Louis. Lightning great Stanley Cup champion. Is the new interim head coach of the Montreal Canadiens. Martin St. Louis has no major coaching experience whatsoever. He was essentially, I believe, what, coaching 13-year-olds? He was coaching peewee hockey. They picked up a peewee hockey coach and said, he hey. He sounds French, dude. That's, that's it. That's you, it. You, you he know is? What it was? He is French. You know what it was? They, could, they couldn't get Vinny Le Cavalier, so they went with St. Louis instead. Well, so here's the thing, right? MSL, he, he's from Laval. You know, 46 years old now, which is insane. Um, but... Yeah, and despite the fact that at his press conference it looks like he hasn't uh, hadn't been touching up on his French for that long. Um, if there was ever a time... Now, I'll say this. Right, right out of the gates. I like this. Yeah. I like this. I don't hate it. If there was ever a time to try something different and to just see, what do you got? This is, this is the time. Why this not? is a team yeah. that is on pace to be historically bad. They are already historically bad. Again, we talked about it last week. They are on pace to be worse than the Detroit Red Wings from a few seasons ago, than the Buffalo Sabres who are tanking for McEichel. And I know what I said, and again, it was the McEichel draft, McDavid and Jack Eichel, because we're creative in the hockey community. Why not try this? It you know Sometimes former players are horrible coaches. Sometimes they're Rod Brindamore. You look at the press conference... And I don't see how anybody couldn't at least be excited to see what's going to happen. Um, Arpan Basu mentioned this. If anything this team needs right now, it's to have fun. When these guys were in Peewee, they had fun. So I'm probably the most qualified guy right now. That is a quote from St. Louis during the press conference. He also went on about his experience as a player of being restricted within a box having to play a certain style, having to play a certain system. And mentioning, I thought, essentially, he was saying, I think that was bullshit, and that's not what I'm going to do. I don't want to restrict my top-skilled players by saying, no, you have to do something this way. I want to let the guys go out there and do what they do best. At the very least, Marty will provide that little bit of extra freedom for these guys to show off their skills, have a little bit more fun down the stretch, and sure, player coaches don't always work out tremendously. Sometimes you do need that balance between a good player coach and a system guy that's able to make things work. But this is the type of outside-the-box move that I think could pay off. I mean, are is it better to try Marty St. Louis, or do you want to bring in Guy Boucher? You know, which, I mean, Guy Boucher in the past has been a successful NHL head coach for the Lightning and for the Senators but do you do you bring in a Guy Boucher? Do you bring in Dave Tippett for God's sakes? Like, who do you bring in? Or yeah, you know, out of the established guard, or do you try something new? And I like the direction from Montreal's leadership now to try something new with Marty St. Louis, and I do think it could work out. 
I I'm, I'm all well. Yeah, I don't I didn't know where you. I know you normally wait to give Endo a chance, and Endo's just off in his own world. Well, yeah, and I also yeah, didn't know if you were going to continue or not. I, <laughs> I was I've jumped in prematurely yeah. a couple times today, but uh, I'm with yeah. I mean, just keep getting different people, and like it, it's odd that he has no coaching experience, but at the same time, who gives a fuck? The team's bad. Um, it doesn't matter. Here's your experience. There you go. Um, yeah. It's, I, you know, huge part of it is the whole French Canadian thing. I wish they would just get rid of that, but I'm not going to stop them from being from restricting themselves. But yeah, it's the more new people filtering in. I guess he's not completely new, but at least in the coaching side of things, he's, you know, it's whatever. New ideas is always is. Well, it's never a bad thing. Now, it is worth noting as well. Um, Vigneau Cavalier, and don't mention him. His name is out there potentially uh, for an assistant GM spot, which would be, <laughs> of course, very, very interesting if that were to happen. But <laughs> in a sense, why not? Also worth noting here, though, this is from Stu Cowan on Twitter. The Habs now have a GM in Kent Hughes with no experience in that position and a head coach with no experience in that position. The last time they did that was with Rajon Houlet and Mario Tremblay. Hopefully for the Habs, it turns out better this time. So I had to look it up, and this was the 95-97 to 97 spam for the Habs. They went 71-63-25 and 25 in that time, so not great, and they went 3-8 and eight in the playoffs. Uh, they did make the playoffs both of those years, despite how bad the records were. So it's not a completely unprecedented move, but... At the same time, again, still still somewhat risky, but I, I think it's the right move for them right now. Why not? And then, yeah, if it doesn't work, you know, and the players don't really seem to react well to it, which I can't imagine they wouldn't. I mean, how Cole Caulfield scored his second goal of the season, finally, uh, in his first game behind the bench. Lol! <laughs> hey! Miss that? That's a medium elite Cole Caulfield, future guaranteed 40 goal scorer Cole Caulfield. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Take that, Habs fans. He's going to be an elite one, one uh, first liner uh, starting line with that new uh, with St. Louis as coach. Watch Caulfield just absolutely just light it up like first game with St. Louis as coach. They already played with St. Louis. Yeah, coach, they right? already played and got the goal. See what I mean? I thought I, I legit thought that like they you, this, they didn't play their first game with St. Louis yet. <laughs> no, yeah, he, he played did last just night. Say that. That's, yeah. I did. Listen, I did. Endo, you're lending too much credibility to the people that argue that you zone out too much on this podcast. People say that. I'm sorry. I <laughs> fucking work a lot. Okay. You know what? You know what? I didn't come in to be attacked. This is my month. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> All right, Anson. Let's yeah. move on. Uh... <laughs> oh, man. Goodness, we won't talk about that on today's show. So, yeah, I'm intrigued to see what happens with the Habs. Uh, I'm intrigued to see what happens with the Oilers as well, certainly. But, yeah, we'll, we'll see. And, again, hey, if it doesn't work out, they do have the possibility of obviously just making a move in the offseason, depending on who's available. So, with that, our final two talking points today. And dare I say they're both related to the Boston Bruins. Ahem. Let me collect myself real quickly. As uh, Tuka Rask has officially retired at the age of 34, primarily due to a hip surgery that he had to have last year. And it was one of the things that was somewhat noticeable 
is that, you know, after not getting those warm-up games in Providence, maybe just maybe he wasn't quite at 100%, did he need more time to warm up, and it's just kind of now been a general thing of it, it probably won't matter how much warm-up time there is. Like, we literally saw this exact same situation with Ben Bishop earlier this yeah. season, which sucks. Um, man, these numbers are absolutely insane. I can't believe there was that cadre of Boston fans for years who wanted to get rid of Garask and who blamed him for the not success because these numbers are ridiculous. So I, I did write down a lot of numbers for you guys to look at here. Um, with Tuka Rask, and I, d- I don't even know, I don't even know where to start. Like, I don't. I could just start with the numbers, but man, just... <sighs> You're talking about a former Stanley Cup champion. You're talking about a former Vesna winner. Former NHL All-Star. Like, just one of the best goalies of his generation. And I think these numbers I'm about to read off will prove that. Uh, NHL history. In the entirety of the NHL. Minimum 300 games played. We're looking at save percentage. Dominic Hasek finishes with a 922. Ken Dryden at a 922. Tuka Rask, 921. Save percentage might not be everyone's end-all be-all. He is literally right there with the likes of Dominic Hasek and Ken Dryden. This number was put out by Top Down Hockey. Jay Fresh shared this one. Uh, not everyone prefers this model for uh, goal saved above expected, but we're looking at uh, GSAX leaders from 2007 to 2022. Tuka Rask's career. Carey Price leads the way at a 118.4, which is insanity. Carey Price, by this definition, literally stopped or robbed 118 shots that should have been goals. Tuka is second at a 106.8. So Carey at a 118, Tuka at a 106. The next highest is Freddie Anderson at a 97.3. That is how far above Rask and Price are in that metric above the rest. And Roberto Luongo was at a 95, Bobrovsky a 90, Henrik Lundqvist only at a 90 Question in on that time. Roberto, though, is that... Like it says from 07 to 22, so so basically it would have stopped. Yeah, you know, like when he retired. Okay, okay, yeah. Got so obviously he was the oldest goalie of the bunch there, but still, that's how good Luongo was towards like the back half of his career in a sense, his prime in the back half. He was still that great. Yeah. Tuka Rask's final rankings in Bruins history: goals pl- or games played for goaltenders first, wins for goaltenders first with 308, shutouts second. And he's not going to catch. I'm pretty sure it's fucking Tiny Thompson that has that record who played in fucking World War II, for God's sakes. Like, just <laughs> uh, hockey was incredibly fucking different back then. Like, you're just not you're not going to catch that. Save percentage. He's tied for first all time. Most amount of saves in team history. Goals against average, second. Playoff games played, first. Playoff wins, first. Playoff save percentage, second. He is, for all intents and purposes, the greatest goaltender in Boston Bruins history. And it is just 
such a kick in the dick to know that he's retired. He's at least being able to retire in a sense on his terms. But to your point, before we get into the other two topics here regarding Rask, and I've seen this statement out there, how many people outside of Boston don't think that Tuka Rask was good? That number has to be so small. I have... Very rarely ever heard a Florida Panthers fan be like, oh, yeah, no, Tuka Rask is shit. Yeah. Or an Avs fan, oh, Tuka Rask is shit. You just don't hear that. It's been said, I'm sure, but in terms of, like, a general consensus, that's just not something you would hear. And the biggest pain in the ass for me, obviously, there's two things. Number one, the people who are like, oh, yeah, no, Tuka, Tuka was only good because of the defense behind him. And I went off on on Twitch for people that dared try to claim that, like, oh, yeah, no, Rask was only good because of the team in front of him. Yes. Was Chara there? Yeah. Was Johnny Boychuk there? Yeah. Adam McQuaid? Sure. You know who else was on those Bruins defensive units while Tuka Rask was the starter? David Warsofsky, Zach Trotman, Corey Potter, Andre Mazaros, Matt Bart, did I say Matt Bartkowski already? I'll fucking say it again. Matt Bartkowski, Joe Morrow, like, dude, like the idea that like Tuca was only good because of the defense. John Michael Lyles was a fucking Bruin. Oh Matt Irwin, like, where is this narrative that there was always this elite fucking defense? Like, that's not true at all. Like, that does not exist. Miller, baby. <laughs> I didn't mention Kevin Miller because I love Kevin Miller. I thought Kevin Miller at his time was great. The only time Kevin Miller wasn't great was when the Bruins were trying to force him to be a top pair defenseman with Sedano Chara, and Kevin Miller was not that. But you move Kevin Miller onto the third pair and let him just truck people. GG's, bravo all day. I liked it. Well, Kevin Miller did score a pretty brilliant, like, <laughs> a goal that looked made him look like an offensive defenseman against the Sharks once. It made me laugh so hard. <laughs> he just went. Bruins defensive defenseman had that ability. The Zdeno Chara spinorama goal against the Florida <laughs> Panthers comes to mind. Oh, then the Vlasic goal where he fucking scores, and then he as he's diving onto the ice on like an overtime. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that actually. <sighs> Unfortunately for Tuka Rask, as Sin alluded towards, for whatever reason, and we all know the reason, there's a lot of people in the Bruins fandom that uh, never gave Tuka Rask credit. Said, oh, the Bruins should get rid of him, get rid of him, trade him, get rid of him. Comes down to one thing, obviously, Tim Thomas. Tim Thomas went on this incredible run in 2011 in the aftermath of the Bruins blowing it the years prior. You look back at the 2007-2008 Boston Bruins. What happened with them? you might ask. Well, they blew it to Montreal in round number one. That is what happens. But people forget that Tim Thomas was the goalie in that series. Interesting. 2008-2009, what happens? The Bruins beat the Montreal Canadiens in a round one sweep. And then they play Carolina and lose it in game seven. Who was the who was the goalie in that playoff run? Oh, it was Tim Thomas. Weird. Weird. 
So then 2009-2010 comes around, and the Bruins beat the Buffalo Sabres in six games in round number one. And then they play the Philadelphia Flyers and get reverse swept. Tuka Rask was the goaltender for that. He was. And then the next year comes around, the Bruins win the Stanley Cup, Tim Thomas goes on arguably the best goaltending run of all time. There are very, very few players who can possibly rival a 940 save percentage in 25 games. Absurd. But from that moment on, Tuka Rask isn't good enough. Tim Thomas blew it twice before the Flyers collapse, but because Tim Thomas won in 2011, that is the comparison for Tuka Rask. And it's bullshit. Yeah. It is. Because the very next year, 2012, Stanley Cup champions back in the playoffs. You're going up against the Washington Capitals. You lose in the first round in seven. Who was the goalie? Tim Thomas. 2012-13, Tim Thomas is gone. And Tuka Rask is the goaltender in a lockout shortened season. The Boston Bruins go to the Stanley Cup final. Tuka Rask has, oh, what's this number? A 940 save percentage. Hmm, didn't Tim Thomas have that too? Tuka Rask has a 940 save percentage, but they blow it to Chicago on home ice in game six because the team in front of him fucking said, job done, boys, and Chicago said, there's 17 seconds left, you dumb fucks, and Chicago put their foot to the gas, foot on the gas, pedal to the fucking metal, and they won that cup. Stole it right out from under them. There should have been a game seven, but the team in front of Tuka quit. Tuca didn't fucking give up. Look at those goals. But it's all Tuca's fault. Tim Thomas did it in 2011. Why couldn't Tuca bail out a team that quit in front of him? That gave that that had their sights set on Game 7 already instead of finishing up the final minutes. You needed a minute to not give up the tying goal and then the winning goal. But that's all the goaltender's fault, huh? 2013-14. Bruins make the playoffs again. Lose to Montreal in Game 7. All Tuca's fault, according to some people, I am sure. He had a 928 in those 12 playoff games that That's year. Insane. Yes, that is that is the year that Milan Lucic said he was gonna kill Dale Weiss in the handshake line, by the way. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then what happens? It catches up to them. You went for it, you went all in. It catches up to you. You got to strip pieces away. Johnny Boychuk gets traded to the Islanders. Other moves take place. The Bruins missed the playoffs in 2014-15. They missed the playoffs in 2015-16, but then draft David Pasternak. 2016-17, they make it. They lose to Ottawa in six. Eric Carlson's from? fucking flip pass. Go ahead. I said, who'd they draft, though? Oh, in 2015, we don't talk about that. <laughs> uh... <laughs> <laughs> Tuka Rask in that playoff series against the Ottawa Senators had a 920 save percentage in those six games. Yeah. It's not like Tuka Rask shit the bed. 2017-18, they lose to Tampa Bay in round two of the playoffs. Tuka Rask, and I'm going to keep going, save percentage, this was the first time he struggled. He had a 903 in 12 appearances in that 17-18 playoff. Still better than Martin Jones. I remember seeing Bruins fans say they should have kept Jones. I remember yeah. literally seeing fans of that sound like, are you guys kidding me? Like, sure, let's trade Rask for Jones one for one. Holy crap, the Sharks team would have won a cup. <laughs> right. Every single season I have mentioned, Tuka Rask was either not in goal or not the problem up until 
They start missing the playoffs because the cup, you know, the additions for the cup run, it takes its toll. You can't hold on to everybody. And then you get to that 17-18 run, and that's where he finally doesn't look like Tuka Rask in the playoffs. The next year, 24 games played in the cup run going up against St. Louis. Tuka Rask had a 934. But it's his fault they lost the cup on home ice in game seven to St. Louis. Yeah, because get fucked. There's that awkward like first goal or something that was like deflected from way out and everyone felt he should have. Yeah, the Brad Marshawn line change. Oh my god, I can't believe oh yeah, that. Right at the end of the first period, and then they shit the bed. They didn't score a goal on home ice in game seven. If they did, they scored one. I try not to think about it. But that's Tuka's fault. 934 save percentage. Why wasn't it a 945, Tuka? Come on. For whatever reason, these idiots, and every fan base has their idiots, we are well aware. For whatever reason, though, that just became the narrative. It's Tuca's fault. 929 save percentage in the 1920 run uh, that also saw them lose to the Tampa Bay Lightning. 2021, they lose to the New York Islanders in round two. Tuca Rask, 913 save percentage. A little bit uncharacteristic. Actually, that was the regular season in the playoffs. He had a 919. Even better. Not amazing. There is literally one playoff run that can be contributed to Tuca Rask not being Tuca Rask. Fucking one. Every other time he delivered and the team in front of him failed. Oh, but he had the audacity to leave the bubble because he heard his fucking child is in the hospital. I respect him more because of that, man. I do. He is the greatest goaltender in fucking team history. And I hate so much that this goddamn conversation even needed to be brought up in terms of of explaining because I don't believe that anybody, either of you two or fan bases from anybody outside of Boston, need to have it explained as to just how fucking good Tuka Rask was. He was never the problem with the Boston Bruins failing to win another cup after 2011. He never was. He is also not the reason as to why they failed. It wasn't, oh, Tuka failed time and time again and then Timmy came home in 2011. That's not true. You heard me read it off. Thomas was the one that blew it prior to 2010. To those people, they never deserved to have a goaltender like Tuka Rask. They didn't. And I would hate to see what those Bruins fans would be doing or saying if they had to deal with, no offense, Martin Jones as their goaltender in the Sharks' cup run. Having to deal with God. I mean, Endo, I don't even have to sit here and talk to you about some of the goaltenders the Leafs have tried to trot out there. No disrespect to James Reimer. Uh, imagine some of the other goaltending displays that these teams have seen, but Tuka Rask was the problem. Those people are out of their fucking skulls and need psychological help because they are so disconnected from reality, it is staggering. The question now for Tuka Rask. Oh, by the way, Endo, you ready for that surprise stat I told you about for Tuka Rask? You might have seen it on Twitter. Uh, rip the band off. Tuka Rask retires with the most career wins by a Toronto drafted goaltender in history. Fuck off. Fuck you. No goaltender ever drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs has won more NHL games than Tuka Rask. Uh, my brain. 
We got it. There are two questions. Would they trade him for again? Justin Pogge or something? Fucking Raycroft. Andrew <laughs> fucking Might as well Raycroft. been Ju Justin Pogge. Basically. It was because they wanted to keep Justin Pogge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, Pogge was good for like a minute. And then he just like, he just fell off plus ratio plus you play in Europe now. He has Justin that great Pogi. AHL highlight, though, when he's just whipping his fucking stick against the board and the announcer's going inside. Oh, and Pogey! Pogey's losing his mind! Oh, my God. Same thing as Tuka Rask throwing the milk crate in Providence. Our, um, <laughs> our AHL announcer at the time was, I hated his voice so much. I hated it so much. I couldn't watch, like, early Marley's games because of it. Anyways, go back go back to the Durant 2 game. For the record, that Tuka Rash trade happened in June of 06 for Andrew Raycroft. In June of 06, Justin Pogge was fresh off of a 926 save percentage campaign with the Calgary Hitmen. They read it wrong, yeah. but it wasn't the worst read of all. It was, at the time, it was okay. Like, Rask was coming off a great world junior performance. They, I, I, I don't think they had to make a choice, but, you know, I, I can at least see the logic. Tuka Rask and whether or not he'll get his number retired by the Boston Bruins. No goaltender in Bruins history has had their number retired by the team. Not one. As shocking as that is, because you'd almost think that they would have retired Tim Thomas's number. Uh, you would almost think that Tiny Thompson would have had his number retired. Uh, Frank Brimsick, uh, Eddie Johnston, Gary Ch or Jerry Cheevers all played over 400 games for the team. Thomas played almost 400 and won the cup, but they have never retired a number for a goaltender. They have to break that for Tuka Rask. They fucking have to. It would be a goddamn shame if Tuka Rask does not get his number retired by the Boston Bruins. If there was a goaltender to do it, you heard me read off those stats. Tuka Rask is the best goaltender in Bruins history. If you make an all-time Bruins team and you don't put Tuka Rask in there, you are probably wrong. Your only argument is Tim Thomas 2011. Again, Tim Thomas did not have the consistency. Not even close. The other argument, and this one is where you guys can more interject because... It's a con it's a conversation that we've had before, and it's it's a larger discussion to be had that we don't have to have today because we still have to talk about something else. Whether or not Tuka Rask makes the Hall of Fame, and look, I don't know if he does, because as we have talked about on this show, the Hockey Hall of Fame is incredibly restrictive when it comes to goaltenders. Uh, for whatever reason, it it just is. Um, but I listed off those numbers earlier and, uh, you know what, let's, let's get a, a reminder here for everybody about the, uh, the list of hockey hall of fame members and who happen to be goaltenders. The only goaltenders in the hockey hall of fame, and it's a pretty short list, all things considered, uh, 2020 Kim St. Pierre, 2018 Martin Brodeur, 2016 Rogi Vachon. 2014, Dominic Hasek. That's it in the last decade for goaltenders. Yeah. You have Ed Belfour, Patrick Waugh, Grant Fuhrer, Billy Smith. That brings us back to 1993. There have been eight goaltenders inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in my lifetime. It raises the question of what we're going to see with the likes of Luongo, 
who does not have a cup. Granted, the cup isn't the end-all, be-all. Dominic Hasek made it in. But Luongo, Lundqvist, Price, Tuka Rask is in that conversation, whether you fucking like it or not. I'm intrigued to see which one of those goaltenders make it in or how many of them make it in because, yeah, if if it's up to me, Luongo, Lundqvist, Price, Rask, they're all Hockey Hall of Famers in my opinion, flat out. Yeah, hard to disagree. It's kind of weird how restrictive that is to like for the goaltenders. It's like they never, they always get the brunt of it. They're always a scapegoat, and then they never get credit. Like, yeah, unless they go on those freak runs. But like, like Tim Thomas said. But at the same time, like, the team was also good. <laughs> you need to put pucks in the net as well. Like, it's it's just weird. Like, huh? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know who makes it. And again, that's a conversation I'm sure we'll have over the next couple of years as a lot of these guys. Obviously, Luongo's been retired for a couple of years now. His name will be coming up soon. And then obviously over the next decade, we'll get into the conversation about Lundqvist, about Rask, about Price, and who ends up making it, why or why not. So, but Tuka Rask, God damn it. it. It sucks to see him go. Uh, but, you know, I think maybe the Bruins kind of sensed this coming when they signed Linus Hallmark to the deal that they gave him. And, of course, they have Jeremy Swayman, so they are not completely boned in terms of goaltending, which is which is nice. The Bruins are boned, in a sense, for the next couple of games, though. Brad Marchand will be the main event of this podcast. They played the Pittsburgh Penguins a couple days ago, earlier in the game. Uh, Tristan Jari was going to flip a puck up over the glass to give it to a Penguins fan, and Brad Marchand swiped it out of his hand and uh, or off of his stick and sent it down the ice uh, in a move that some people call the complete dick move, but also hilarious. Some people just thought it was hilarious. Some people thought it was just a dick move. I don't know if you guys have takes on that. <laughs> Pretty shit. I don't know. I don't like that. He's trying to give a puck to fans, man. Like, there's a goddamn, like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I didn't like that part. That's, that's the part where I, I really didn't like Marchand in that moment. Yeah. I thought it was funny, but I do think it's a gigantic dick move. <laughs> yeah. I agree. So then we get to the controversy. The Bruins are losing to the Penguins. A few moments before this incident took place, uh, Tristan Jari swiped at Charlie Coyle with the stick. Something that doesn't get called oh, too often. But, uh, and shout out to that massive alert. I forgot to turn off my Streamlabs alerts again. So enjoy hearing Christian Bale oh, yell. good for oh. you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Shout out to Tub and Bubbles for the follow. Greatly appreciate it. That's twitch.tv forward slash Tookie24. Goaltenders in terms of slashing at uh, players doesn't get called that often. Could have been called. It's a bit sneaky dirty. Wasn't the, you know, was it's not like he baseball swung it at his head, though. I keep things in, in reality. Case, you gotta and, you put know, coil in, in the box. Yes, for daring getting slashed by the goalie. A few moments later, Tristan Jari stops a scoring chance, I believe, from Taylor Hall. Brad Marchand's near the goal. Jari looks up to his, to his left, and clearly, he and Marchand start talking to one another. I don't know who started it, who said what, but clearly there was an exchange of words. Marshawn then approaches and takes a swipe at the, uh, the side of Tristan Jari's head. Now, you can call it a punch, and yeah, it was a punch. Debatable how much Tristan Jari sold it. That's right. I'll say it. Uh, and even if you don't think he did, 
Somebody compared this to Todd Bertuzzi hitting Steve Moore. Oh my God. Just to show you how out to lunch some people are about this. It was a jab to the side of the head. It's a dick move. It's unnecessary. But Jesus Christ, do you have to go with the most egregious comparison that ended somebody's fucking career? You knots. The fuck's the matter with you? I'll continue. I'll continue. Marshawn starts to skate towards the bench, then starts to approach Jari again. Referee does a terrible job of keeping them separated. Marshan gets back to the top of the crease where he takes a swipe at Jari's face, neck area with the stick. Uh, again, not a baseball swing like some people are calling it, but still completely unnecessary. You certainly crossed the line there if you didn't with the jab. Using your stick to freaking tap somebody in the neck, the head area. Completely unacceptable. Fine worthy. Suspension worthy. I do not disagree in the slightest. This is not me defending Brad Marchand. He crossed the line. Again, let's not act, let's not clutch our pearls and act like Tristan Jari is this innocent bystander, though, who did absolutely nothing wrong and uh, was uh, just subsequent. He was, was on the receiving end of this brutal violence from Brad Marchand. That's not, no. Come on now. Marchand was subsequently suspended six games for this. It's his eighth career suspension, which I believe is an NHL record now. Uh, and he has now been fined, because of this, a grand total, or at least forfeited cash, off of these suspensions and fines of $1.4 million in his career, which I believe is also a record. Now, Marshawn did recently have a suspension. Back at the end of November, uh, a slew footing incident against the Vancouver Canucks that oh, cost really? him three games. Called it? Uh, <laughs> looking back, he has lost 28 games worth of playing time. Now, again, here's my argument. Because a lot of people, and we'll, we'll get to, actually, we'll get to that in a moment. Hold on. Now, Marchand is appealing this alongside the NHLPA. Uh, Fluto Shinzawa, who's a local reporter, uh, had this quote from Brad Marchand saying, Was it stupid? Of course it was stupid. I'm not denying that. I absolutely should not have done it. But suspension worthy? I don't think so. Now again, I'm cool with it being a suspension. Six games might be a tad bit high. And the main response I got was, oh, but it's history, but it's history, but it's history. He only has one that fits the parameter of actual history, right? And it's the November right. one. Yeah. Well, yes, because of the uh, repeat offender status yeah, and how that's, that's been that's reduced. So, yes. Now, technically, here is the issue, right? And all the talk of this history, a player's history, this is my argument. Horrible handling by the Department of Player Safety leads to others either not having a history at yes. all yes. or not having the history that they should recently. P.K. Subban has slew-footed like four fucking people this season. I don't believe he's been fined. I don't believe he's been suspended for it. So it's not on his record, so you look it up, and PK, well, he doesn't have a history. Marcus Foligno of the Minnesota Wild just got suspended for two games for kneeing Adam Lowry in the head after fighting. Lowry's turtled. He kneed him in the fucking head like it's pride in 2007. That's, like, that's, that's an illegal move even... In a sport where you're supposed to knock the other fucking dude out. Like, that's the objective. Yeah, you can't do that in, yeah. in the UFC. It, yeah. it's, it's against the rules. That's insane. And two games. 
my argument with this is Brad Marchand's history. Let's be honest. Brad Marchand's history is not nearly as extensive as it should be. <laughs> That's just a fact. His history is this. Six-game suspension for what he did to Jari. Three games for slew footing earlier this year. Between that, though, that was uh, November 29th, 2021. His last fine was April 2nd of 2018. I fucking love Brad Marshawn. I am sure he did something in that three and a half year span that should have gotten some sort of fucking discipline. Let's be honest. Uh, he had another fine in 2018. Uh, five game elbowing uh, suspension for uh, a moment against Marcus Johansson when he was on the Devils. 2017, two games for spearing Jake Dotchin. Uh, 2017, a $10,000 slew footing fine against Nick Cronwall. 2015, so again, a, almost a two-year gap, at least a little bit over a year. Three-game clipping uh, suspension against Mark Borowiecki. 2015, 5K fine for punching Gabriel Landeskog. He sucker punched him. I remember that well. Uh, Landeskog, though, as uh, a lot of people will tell you, a bit of a chippy, dirty player, and Marshawn just walked up to him and punched him in the face. I thought it was pretty funny. Deserved to be fined for it, though. Um, suspension for slew-footing Derek Broussard. Suspension for the low bridge on Sammy Salo, which was awful. Absolutely awful. Uh, literally just ducked down, like, well below hip check level and just fucking flipped him like a table. It was awful. Um, slew footing in 2011, and a two-game elbowing suspension uh, for elbowing R.J. Umberger back in 2011. Oh, so let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 examples. That seems pretty low, doesn't it? I don't know. It seems but that's Brad high. Marsh <laughs> <It's a laughs> but lot. for Brad Marchand, yeah, I guess. like 13 examples, I'm, I don't, I'm not doing this to cater to the people that don't like Marchand. In my opinion, that's probably low. Yeah, But it's this idea of, oh, well, his history. Literally, you can look at Brad Marchand's history and see how the DOPS has fucked it up because his history should be even more extensive. But you can't sit there and say his history like it's some smoking gun when we all know that the DOPS fucking sucks. Period. Like, end of. There's no argument in favor of, like, oh, the DOPS does a good job, and that's why the six-game suspension is is right and justified. I hate to bring it to him, but when you want to talk about another controversial player, Tom Wilson, in his fine and suspension history, he has six incidents on his record. Just six. Now, granted, uh, you know, the most recent one was punching Pavel Bushnevich in, in 2011. Uh, before that, uh, seven games for an illegal check to Brandon Carlo's head. Fourteen games in 2018 for an illegal check to the head of Oscar Sunkvist. Three games illegal check to the head of Zach Aston Reese. Four games for boarding Sammy Blay, and two games for interference against Robert Thomas. You can literally look at the biggest instigators in their histories and say, "Boy, that's not nearly as extensive as it should be." I just don't get that argument of Brad Marchand's history when we know. And have called it out all season long in the past couple of years just how bad the DOPS does of establishing a history for somebody. Again, like P.K. Subban and a variety of slewfoots this year, no discipline whatsoever. He should have a history by that logic. Uh, he very much does not. So that's my only bit of frustration with that is people trying to 
used that as a smoking gun. P.K. Subban's actually never been suspended in his career and only has four fines. Three, uh, two from 2015, one from 2012, and one from 2021. Uh, P.K. Subban, pretty clean player. So, boys, I don't know if you saw the incident. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on the Marshawn thing. I didn't um, know about the stick swing afterward. I just saw him hit him ahead, like, just kind of punch him in the yeah. head when he was on his knees. I'm like, how the fuck does that get you six games? Um, it had to have been the stick swing primarily. I guess, yeah. but I didn't see that, so I'm not, I can't comment on that exactly. But, yeah, who knows? It's, I'm still just pissed. Like, it, it's crazy to me. Like, people all the time, like, oh. Department player safety sucks. It sucks. It's so horrible. And then it gets it. It does something that they like, and then they're always oh, it looks like they did something right this time. It's just like they did something that like benefits you and your arguments. Like that's it. Like that they they still suck. And I completely agree with the you know players who like don't have a history thing because there's so many players out there who should have histories. There's so many, especially in the playoffs. These these dangerous hits that go uncalled. I'm gonna keep bringing it up, but uh, in the uh, was it. Whenever the Bruins lost to the Blues, I'm sorry, what year is that? 18 or 19? 2019. 19. Yeah. 19. Uh, well, the, the, the he- Blues played the Sharks right before that. And there's mm-hmm. a hell of a lot yeah. of headshots in that series. One to Joe Pavelski, who was just coming off a pretty horrific injury with, from a concussion where he's, you know, was... and <laughs> and I, I heard that thing. First of all, I kept hearing, well, yeah, you guys got away with a hand pass. Motherfucker, what? A hand pass versus headshots is completely different things um but yeah it's like oh well yeah but they they just don't have a history dude if they looked at it if they simply looked at it but none of them were even looked at we never got word like there's so many borderline bad hits and and shots like directly to the head that actually end up injuring people or even if they don't injure people they should still be looked at because i don't think the result of a hit it should be how long you get necessarily it should be how long you get like punished for or Hmm. At least as much as it seems to be sometimes where it's like, oh, well, he's injured. We got to, you know, do something at this point. But yeah, it's there's there's a lot of bad hits that simply aren't looked at. And so, yeah, they can't get a history because they're never they're They're like mm-hmm. in this group of players that they they can't be touched or it's against this group who seemingly like I, I've said tons and tons of times. I don't know if anyone's gotten suspended since then, but. It had been since like the year 2017 or something since anyone was suspended for an act committed against the Sharks, hmm. which is pretty nuts. Then you think, oh, it's George Peros. Oh, the enforcer at one time for the Ducks who used to constantly get his ass kicked by Sharks players. That's interesting. You know, you mentioned 2019. I look at Braden Shen's history. He's someone that always comes to mind as much as people are freaking out about the Tory Krug end-to-end hit. Mm-hmm. Braden Shen literally had a moment where he was almost parallel with the ice in the air yes. going to headshot somebody. Braden Shen hasn't had a fine or suspension since April of 2016. And I'm sorry, Blues fans, I'm not calling him the dirtiest player in the world, but Braden Shen is an incredibly physical player on the ice. You mean to tell me there hasn't been a single moment, accidental or not, that might not be suspension worthy with a player that plays that close to the edge? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. It's just... Marshawn? The way I'll sum it up, deserve to be suspended for this. Six games might be a bit excessive, but at the same side, you can't get into the argument of, well, his history dictates it when we know that these histories for players, or lack thereof, are because the DOPS is completely inept at their job. Yep. In a funnier note, uh, the governor of North Carolina was trash-talking Brad Marshall on Twitter. (laughs) 
So apparently he wants engagements because Brad will fucking tear him up. God. And on a lesser uh, note, at least for Bruins fans, the Hurricanes did beat the Bruins uh, without Marshawn, without Bergeron, without Tukarask, uh, six to nothing last night. Uh, the Hurricanes have outscored the Bruins sixteen to one in the three games they've played this season. It's one of those teams, man. <laughs> when you go up against them, you're like, all right, auto L. I'm just gonna not watch. <laughs> I <Yeah>. didn't. <laughs> Don't blame me, man. Like with that sort of history. So. Brutal, brutal stuff there. The Bruins are still in a decent spot, but uh, in general, the Bruins' chances uh, playoff-wise, man, that Atlantic's a buzzsaw. The Metro's a buzzsaw. Um, I'll just be happy if they make the playoffs this year, i got to be honest. But with that, gentlemen, if we have nothing else to add, I think it's been a solid show. Um, thank you for letting me rant and rave about Tuka Rask, as I could do on every possible show that we ever do. Uh, but it was nice that uh, all three of us were here as well to be able to talk about some of the other things uh, that happened around the league. Uh, with that, Endo Mills, let's hear from you. What do you got? Plugs, let's hear. Um, I mentioned this on Twitter, uh, but because of the announcement of the new Meyer Strikers game, uh, Turbo League, to be coming out in the summer, I'm going to be doing a retrospective on the game, on the first game, Super Mario Strikers for the GameCube. Got that linked up through Parsec. Uh, gonna be doing that on Twitch probably Monday. Uh, gonna go through it on stream. Hopefully have some of the friendos pop in and out. Uh, gonna go through the grudge matches, unlock the super team, and go through. I decided to play the game uh, for the first time on on Legend with all the bombs and everything on. And it was absolute hell, and I said, yeah, never again. But yeah, you can <laughs> find me uh, Twitter, YouTube, officially. That's where the retrospective is gonna go. Uh, Endo Mills, that's where I'm at. That's where I am. That's me. Mr. Sin for the win, who you can also catch alongside myself at SportsGamerGG uh, this upcoming week. SportsGamer.gg as well. It's nearly playoff time for the top mm. sixes scene on the European side of things. Maybe even in the world. It's going to be a ridiculous playoff format. Sin, where can the people find you? They can uh, find me on Twitter on the link at SinFTWProd. And, of course, on YouTube, Sin for the Win Productions, where... I just recently, within the last week or so, have launched a new franchise mode series featuring the Nashville Predators and featuring a lot of the channel members as well. Uh, uh, we, I make them as prospects in the game. They get drafted in the first uh, three years, and it's a hell of a lot of fun to uh, keep track of everyone. So uh, come check the series out. You can find me everywhere, of course, at Tuki24. Thank you guys for listening very, very much. We will be back next week. And we shall uh, see what kind of news breaks <laughs> over the weekend. Keep following the Olympics, especially the women's side of things. The games have been nuts. We'll catch you all later. Again, description, Manscaped, Thrive Fantasy, you know the deal. We'll catch you all next week. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Go Cincy.